Um, thank God for another opportunity for us to gather this morning. I'm sure we are aware that there are some parts of the world because of what is going on now, people are not opportuned to gather. But we are here this morning and we give God praise that we can still worship him. We don't know what tomorrow comes, but we have the assurance in Psalm 91. If we go through it, it says, He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And verse 10 also said, No evil shall befall us, neither shall any plague come near our dwelling. Even in this period, as we pray and ask God to still the evil that is ravaging the lands, the countries, the nations of the world. We have strong faith in our God that is able to keep us no matter what happens. And this morning we are going to be taking our teaching series forward, moving on to the corporate aspects of the habits of grace. In this season we've been looking closely at what it means for us as Christians to live together in our community. And this is becoming more and more critical for us to have an understanding based on what is happening in the world today. And for us as Christians, our starting point is in what Jesus taught and the example he gave us. And when he was about to die, that was one of the points that he raised before his crucifixion in John chapter 17 from verses 21 to 23. He said, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Let us pray. Father, we want to thank you because you are God. You are the God of the universe. We thank you because the earth remains your footstool. And we thank you because all that is going on in the world shows that you are God. It proves again the frailty of man. It also proves that the power of man is nothing compared to you. And Lord, even as we have had the privilege to come into your house this morning to hear your word, strengthen us to keep our faith in focus on you, the God that is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And as we go into your word, oh God, as you remind us and as you challenge us how we should live even at this time as Christians, may our hearts be strengthened, may our faith be renewed in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. The prayer that Jesus prayed in John chapter 17 that we just read brought out very clearly the importance of unity in sharing the love of God to the whole world. 
And that is the essence of the message of hope that we need to preach, that we have been preaching, that we need to emphasize more than ever before. A God that loves. And how can the world see this love? A God that they cannot see, except through the demonstration of his love in his people, our community, ourselves as Christians. So the topic of this morning's message is embracing the body. And to help us understand the importance of embracing the body as an important part of the habits of grace that we have been going through in the past couple of weeks, I want us to start from the position of who we are, believers, Christians, as a community. How does God see us? This will help us have an understanding of how we can embrace the body. So what is the community? In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, the Bible says very clearly, it says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. It didn't just say people or community, but it said a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. I just wonder the kind of powerful adjectives that has been used to describe who we are in the sight of God. Chosen, meaning specially selected. And not only that, royal. Not ordinary priests, but royal priests in the class of kings, prince, princesses, queens. And not only that, holy, clean, righteous. And to top it all up, God's special possession. And special means special, prized. I just, you know, cast my mind back to growing up. And I remember as a kid, my mom had special dishes set out for my dad. And no one dares to use those things. It was her prized possession, a special complete set of china, teacups, everything just for my dad special, and we dare not touch those things because they were specially kept aside for my dad. I'm sure some of us have things like that in the house, things that we prize and mean so much to us. And God is telling us this morning, we are his own special possession. And why are we all this? For us to declare share our stories, share our lives, not keep it to ourselves, the praises of God that has transformed us from darkness into light. And I think this describes, or this description, I would say is God's layered qualification of what we are as a collective and how we can demonstrate his existence to the world that cannot see him, that does not know him, that we live in. So with this in mind as Christians, with the purpose of declaring God's special praise, how then shall we relate to each other? How can we embrace that body? How will we be able to do this? In describing the corporate body 
of the church in the New Testament, different words or different nouns were used, which are all linked together that we'll be looking at today. And those nouns or words, I would call them bride, body, and family. Each of these words is linked together. A bride physically has a body, and a bride will eventually become a part of a family, but we're not looking at it that way. So let's take the word bride. Bride is, for us as Christians, God's special relationship with us as a corporate body. It describes in an intimate sense of a bride and a bridegroom. And if we look at the Bible, on several occasions, Jesus referred to himself as the bridegroom, and in Revelation, the church is referred to as the bride. One of the scriptures where Jesus talked about himself as a bridegroom, he said, but the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and on that day they will fast. And in Revelation, he says, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. So who is the bride? We are the bride. And as I prepared this message, it just occurred to me, bride, wife, why not wife? Well, there's no need to go into details of maybe the difference between a bride and a wife or the wife. There isn't any difference, but I want us to just look figuratively and maybe symbolically at the word bride. I want us to consider who the bride is. A bride is somebody that has been specially sought after by the groom and is now ready to be elevated to the position of a wife. The bride is special. She is the beloved. The bride, for some of us that are married or some of us that have been to weddings before you are not married, it brings wonderful memories, particularly for those that have been married, and I remember I used to make wedding cakes before, and I've been to so many weddings that I've lost count, but the bride is always the same. The reaction to the bride is always the same. She's the wow factor in any wedding. Everyone is waiting for the bride to come. The uniqueness of the bride is that you're only a bride for that one special day. And before then, there is a build-up preparation and a lot of things going on for when the world will come to a standstill for that one special day and the focus is on the bride. Most times people forget about the groom, but the bride is just unique. The bride, the church, the beloved bride that Jesus sacrificed his life to redeem. To, to redeem. The bride that God is adorning and preparing himself for. What we are going through now is part of the adorning and the preparation for himself. And being a bride also demonstrates our level of worth in the sight of God and the depth of God's love for his church, his beloved bride. Note here it's a collective it's just one bride. We are just one bride. It's not brides. And that takes us to the second word that I want us to look at today that helps us to see how, as one bride, we connect together. And that's the word body. 
body and not bodies. And this is another noun used in the Bible to describe the corporate body of us as believers. In First Chronicles 12, from verses 12 to 27, which we are not going to go through the length of it because it's quite long, it says in verse 27, now you are the body of Christ, and each of you is a part of it. Each of you is a part of it. This scripture, even though has been used severally to describe mostly the gifts and the functions of the ministries in the church, can also be used to describe how we should embrace our corporateness, if there is any word like that, how we should live together. Verse 12 says, just as a body, don't work, has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. So we take a close look at the human body. Each part, from the tiny hair follicles on our skin, to our legs, our mouth, our head, our ears, even the hidden parts under the skin cannot exist without the other. The different parts of the body, each unique in its nature and functions, make up the one single body. So the nourishment of the body through the mouth benefits the whole body. The breathing in and out benefits the whole body. And similarly, the pain of a part affects the other. If I ask here, has anyone ever has a toothache? Your whole world crashes. It totally crashes. Just a common toothache. I had one two years ago, I almost passed out. It was like this small thing, toothache, toothache. And just think about banging or shutting the door on this little finger. That day, you will respect that finger. You will respect it. I can't even describe the level of respect you give to this tiny little finger. What about those parts of the body that we consider the least parts, where the dirty job is done? You know what I mean. (laughs) The day that that part malfunctions, you will understand very clearly there is no part in the body that is insignificant, even though it's the least important. The understanding that each part, each part of the body, is equally important, even though that part does not function as you do, does not make it less important. The understanding that each one of us forms a part and you don't function or that person doesn't function as you expect that person to function does not make that person unimportant. And this is very critical in us celebrating our diversity and our unity in Christ as a community of believers with one Father and one purpose. So I may not sing as you do, but I'm still important. I may not talk when others are talking. I'm quiet all the time. I'm still important because I'm a functional part of the body and should be appreciated. And this takes us to the next noun that I want us to look at. Family. Family. The body has to function as a family. 
It has to function as a family. The church is, as a corporate body, described in the Bible as family. But in the culture of individualism, this culture that runs contrary to God's culture, where we celebrate ourselves as individuals, and the world has totally turned to that now with the use of smartphones that we can sit as a family and everybody has traveled away with individualism. So how should we relate to one another? This might be a sensitive issue for anyone here that might not have had a good experience about family. Again, considering the diversity of cultures, family means different things to different people, to different cultures. And that might be a very sensitive thing for us sometimes to wonder why do people behave the way they behave. In the time of Jesus, in a culture of the ancient Jews that family was considered as biological relations, Jesus in Mark chapter 3 verse 35 was able to say, whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. That culture, that family was close-knit and it has to be your biological relations. Jesus was able to say, whoever does the will of God is my brother, my sister, and mother. God sees us as a single family and not families. We're sat here this morning, we're one single family and not family. And this is God's culture for us to live as brother and sisters, children of the same God. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, God sees us as a family. He says, for this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. He sees us as one family, not strangers or foreigners, but all has his children. The church community, therefore, is meant to be inclusive, welcoming, regardless of your tribe, language, nation, background, regardless whether you are rich or poor. So what is family? For me, it's just simple. Living together despite our differences. Accepting, not tolerating making and making an effort and time to be connected to your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. It means reaching out, not segregation. And the church for us is unique for us to be able to do that. This is a unique opportunity for us to be able to demonstrate that family. A preaching on community I listened to on Macomas Church website captures it in such a beautiful way. It says, family defined not by blood or last names, the church community. A family defined not by blood or last names, to know and be known, to love and be loved, because we share a story. We all have a part to play. We shouldn't sit down and expect people to love us, we also need to love. We also need to know and also to be known. So it's a two-way thing. 
because we share a story. And what's that story? A story of grace, same grace, same price was paid and paid in full for each one of us. And this story we can share, not through words, but through deeds, as John chapter 13 verse 35 said. He says, by this will they know that you are my disciples if you love one another. By this, the world will know, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I want us to quickly look at a case study of a church community in the Bible, the church in Antioch. This church was known for many firsts. And I want us to consider as we seek to understand and embrace what the corporate body means by looking at that. The story is in Acts chapter 11 from verses 19 to 30. This church was the first place, not Jerusalem, where the big boys, the disciples, the apostles of Jesus were gathered. This church was made up of Christians that were persecuted. This was also the first assembly where the official missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas was commissioned in Acts chapter 13. It's also important to know that this group of believers, like I'd earlier said, were persecuted Christians that were scattered and gathered in Antioch to form a church. So they must have had trauma. They must have lost family or almost have been killed themselves. Or even their family had disowned them because they were believers. So considering the persecution as of that time, which was horrific because mostly they would have been thrown to lions or be put inside boiling oil to die, it was definitely not fashionable to be a believer. Yet, they exhibited the attributes of Christ, of love, that they were called Christians. Another thing that stood out for this church is that they were accepting and accommodating community of believers. Barnabas, we're told, sought out Paul, the persecutor, and brought him to Antioch. Why didn't he take him to Jerusalem or another church? He brought him to Antioch to be nurtured and grounded in the world. This same church supported and gave to other believers in the time of need. They stood by other people. They were like Christ said in verse 34. He said, a new commandment I gave you to love one another as I have loved you. So you must also love one another. And verse 35 said, by this shall all men know you are my disciples. Hence, it was right for them to be given the name Christians. Coronavirus is ravaging, and WHO declared it a pandemic some few days ago, and there's so much panic and fear. For us as Christians, we know that our God is with us. Our God is more than able. And we have that story of hope to share to people that God is able to keep us. And more than ever before, this is an opportunity for us to demonstrate what love truly means. Reaching out, even when social distancing is being encouraged. 
We have our mobile phones that we could use to call. How are you doing? There are some people that cannot hoard food because some supermarkets, I'm told, the shelves are empty now because some have packed everything, and some can't afford to have all the food. What about our neighbors? What of our fellow brothers and sisters in church? Do they have enough to eat? This is an opportunity for us to truly demonstrate that love. Love means relationship, a love that is accepting. It means time, it means commitment, it means making an effort to connect to people. We need to connect to one another. It also means knowing and being known. It keeps no boundaries of who we relate to or who would avoid because we perceive they are beneath us. So as a family, the standards set for our love relationship that Jesus talked about in John chapter 13, verse 34, which was described by Paul in Philippians chapter 2 from verses 1 to 5, it says, in verse 5, it says, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And how is this to be? Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind, doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others, above yourselves, not looking at your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. I spent some time visiting a wonderful woman of God some few weeks back, and each time I'm with her, I'm so amazed and challenged with her life. And during that visit, she shared her motto of how she loves, lives, and relates to others. And she said it was the acronym JOY, J-O-Y. I know some of us might know it, but after she explained it that day, even though I had heard that JOY before, it meant something new and it challenged me even further. JOY, J, Jesus first. O, others second. Y, you last. Jesus first. Others second, you last. Seeing how this woman relates to others made it really click for me and challenged me. In a world where everyone is so individualistic and sadly has taken over in the church, where we're supposed to support and be a family and be a body and not individuals, for us to be truly able to cast the difference between light and darkness. Joy has to be there. Jesus first, others second, and you last. We have to be able to show a difference on how we live corporately and make this difference clear and distinct. In closing, I want us to ponder as a body, value others. 
Every one part of the body of Christ is important. Appreciate everyone. Recognizing each person, no matter who they are, are a part and have a function in the body of Christ. The second thing, value yourself. Are you here and you think, I'm not important because I cannot talk, I can't sing or preach or do anything? Value yourself. Be a useful path. Whoever you are, God has a purpose for you to function in this community. More than ever before, as a family, let's keep with joy. Jesus first, others second, and you last. And keeping with joy, the J stands for Jesus. Jesus means for anyone here this morning and is not yet a believer. That is the starting point, accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior to become a part of the people, the family, and a bride of Christ. Jesus first, others second, and you last. As we go into the coming week, it's a deciding week, but as Christians, we hold our head high up that our God is with us. And this is also an opportunity for us to demonstrate the love of Christ. This is an opportunity for us to make a difference between darkness and light. I want to challenge our hearts this morning with the word joy. Jesus first, others second, and myself last. Let us pray. Father, we thank you because you demonstrated your love first for us. Your word says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Help us even in the coming week to put you first in our lives and to put others second before ourselves. Let your love be seen in us in the name of Jesus. I want to invite the band to come forward now. And we're still going to be praying out once Phil to come forward to lead us even as we continue to pray. Would you all like to stand? Thank you, Hannah, for that word. Um, the first thing we better do, and we, very important, is if um, you've got children, um, I think you should go and get them now. That would be good. Um, so we'll do that. And just before Kath starts to lead us in, in worship, and as we respond um, to that word, you know, we are, we are such an amazing group of people from so many nations. 
and we have such potential and such gifting and ability in this, in this amazing group of people. And, and God gives us such creativity. And my prayer this morning is that God would release in us um, creativity to respond to what's going on in the world. That God, by his Holy Spirit, would speak into our minds, into our hearts, and would release creativity to, um, to serve our community, to serve this city. Jesus first, others second, and us last. It's great. Some of us have heard it before, but we've maybe forgotten it. But it's true. It's the right, it's the right order of things. It's where we need to be. So let's just pray for a moment. Let's just pray for the Holy Spirit to come and, 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 and give us that creativity. Heavenly Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that your Holy Spirit would come. Come, Holy Spirit. Come and fill us, Lord God. Not so that we would feel good about ourselves, but fill us so that we can be the people that you've called us to be in this time and in this city, in the name of Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill us up. Fall upon us, anoint us. Fall upon us and anoint us. Fall upon us, Lord God. Lord, we ask for, we ask for creativity. We ask for words of pro- prophecy. We ask for words of knowledge. And as Hannah was speaking about the body this morning as well, I kind of just felt that um, there was a whole bunch of people that have been really hurt by um, being part of church in the, in the past. And um, there's an opportunity this morning for healing, um, for pain that you felt and things that have been said to you or done to you by other places you may have been, or maybe even in this church. You know, we're sorry if that's happened. But, um, yeah, God is here to heal. Yeah, when we was, we was praying at the beginning, uh, like I say, a lot of people were fearful. And um, we, we kind of said it earlier, that perfect love casts out of fear. And that's, that's a real promise uh, that God, God gives us. That So if you are scared, it might not be about coronavirus, it might be about just, just life. Now is the time for you to receive God's love. So it's going to be time to respond, to respond to, just to receive more of God. So don't, don't give up that opportunity to receive from God this morning. He wants to reach down as a heavenly father to, to pull you in tight into his warm embrace. Let's not, let's not give up that opportunity to receive from God this morning. The ministry team will be here at the front to, to pray with everybody who wants it. So come.